the Quarter to Three Games Podcast. So we talk to people who make the forum what it is, about the games that matter to them. Today we have with us, uh, you know him as Salwan, which I was hoping might be some funky thing from like maybe one of the characters in Isaac Asimov's Foundation Trilogy or something. But, but Stephen, it's nothing that dramatic. Why, why don't you explain what Salwan is? Well... Uh, my name is Stephen Alwan, and so what I did was I took off the Teven part of my name <laughs> and attached the S to the end because it makes a pretty cool form name that, I don't know, no, not many other people have it. So, you know, there we go. I imagine that's not taken a lot when you're, like, registering for forum names. <laughs> You'd be surprised how often I have to go with Salwan01. Now, what is Alwan? What, what's, the, what's the derivation of your last name? It's Syrian or Lebanese, you know, Lebanese a hundred years ago when they were both the same country. Ah, does it mean something like the chosen one or something like that? Do you know? Probably. <laughs> let's, let's go with that. I like the chosen one. Okay, chosen one, good. Uh, now, I understand you are, and oh my golly, I can't wait to hear what this means, you are a geophysicist. Now, now yes. here's my frame of reference, Stephen, for what a geophysicist is. Um, well, I work here's what I think of, just so you know. Like, here's here's my picture of you. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Here's you and my Aaron Eckhart in the core. I don't know if that means anything to you, but that's how I'm now picturing you. <laughs> yeah. All right. That, let's go with that one then. <laughs> no, no. Why don't Why don't you disabuse me of any questions uh, <laughs> I might have about what being a geophysicist means? Well, for me, I mean, I work for a company that takes pictures for oil companies. So we help um, let them know what the ground looks like, and we go out and take the pictures, and I make them look good, and then we send them off, and they make a lot of money with them, hopefully. Okay, so why weren't you there to stop what happened in the Gulf? Can I hold you uh, partly responsible for that? No, actually, we had nothing to do with that one. Nowhere along the line were we involved at all. That was uh, some of our direct competitors. Ah, that must be awesome for you guys then. Pretty much. Well, not really, because we lost a lot of business anyway, but, you know, other than that. So actually, in all seriousness, Stephen, so you do kind of, in a way, work for what would be known these days as big oil. Uh, it must have been a pretty dramatic several months for you recently, yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah, it really was. And like I said, you know, we, we do a lot of work in the Gulf of Mexico, and Obama said, okay, no more drilling in the Gulf for six months, and we all said, okay, well, we've got work now, but let's see where this goes. So, yeah, it was kind of, it was an interesting time in the industry. Is it is it scary right now? Do you feel a little bit? My company is far, pretty far, what they call upstream or downstream. I don't know how it works, but we're pretty far removed from the guys who are actually drilling. So for us, something like this, if it only lasts six months or whatever, isn't going to affect us long term. Now, have you been following the actual details of the leak? Is that something that's been of particular interest to you? Yeah, um, in in the same sense everyone else has, I guess, just keeping up with uh, the multiple attempts to stop it, and then once they finally stopped it and things like that. Do you, from your perspective, do you find yourself at all sympathizing with what British Petroleum is having to deal with? Like, it's so oh, easy for us to, to villainize. Absolutely not. Explain that. Yeah. They, um, uh, they made every mistake under the sign at every step of the way, so, you know, it was just a matter of time with those guys. Mm-hmm. Good. And how does a fellow like you come to get a job like this? Is this what you wanted to do when you were in school? No, I'm a, I studied math in school, mm-hmm. um, and, and pure math. So I graduated and said, okay, now what the hell am I going to do? 
and uh, yeah, <laughs> luckily company, companies like this one hire math majors. Uh-huh. And uh, where did you graduate from? Where were you in school? I went to UT Austin, University of Texas for my undergrad, and then NYU for grad school. And I noticed you ended up back in Texas because... And now I'm back in Texas because there's more jobs here. Uh, you like Texas? Yeah, yeah, it's not bad. It's um, it, all, middle of August, it starts to wear a little bit, but uh, in another few months, it'll be good again. Now, I don't know how you feel about this. I'm, I'm about to throw down with you, Stephen. You ready for this? I am more of a Texan than you are because yeah. I was born there. Okay. You don't, you, don't, you don't feel the need to, like, challenge me to a fist fight or any kind of Texas sort of a showdown for saying that? I have as little Texas pride as one can possibly have, I think. <laughs> and you also don't sound like you're from Texas. No, I worked very hard. I moved here when I was 10, so I worked very hard to make sure I had neither a New York nor a Texas accent. Okay, now here's another thing, Stephen, and I'm a little... Uh, I don't want to say concerned for you because you're a big boy and I'm sure you can fend for yourself, but did you go and marry a Texan girl? No, I married a New York girl, actually. Ah, okay, good. The Texas girls are trouble. I don't know if you know that or not. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, I found that one out pretty quickly in college. All right. And uh, tell me about your wife. What does she do, if I may ask? She's a teacher. Um, Oh, awesome. I love your wife. Okay, what kind of teacher? Special ed, high school special ed. I love her even more. Your wife is awesome. You know what? Can I talk to her instead of you for the rest of the podcast? Is that okay? Well, she doesn't have anything to say about video games, but yeah, she'd like that. Fair enough. Uh, And I accused you, and you vehemently denied this, uh, of having a dog that you guys dress up in costumes. Uh, Uh, Go ahead and explain yourself, because there's photographic evidence on the forum that you do this. I believe there is one picture, and all I'm doing is uh, I might have been holding the stupid little hat. You know, when they graduate from uh, Pet Smart training, they give them a little mortarboard or a motorboard or whatever those things are. And uh, yeah, that, that was the one and only time. All right. What is the dog's name? Scout. All right. I am hoping that before we started recording, Scout uh, actually had a few words to say to me. I'm hoping that. Uh, he might come back and, and join us. In the- don't worry. He'll put, he'll put his input in eventually. Awesome. Good. Good. Uh, now, I know your name from uh, basically discussions about strategy games and, and war games. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you came into video gaming and what kind of video games you dig. So I was, I, I mean, I, I was trying to think about this because I don't really know how I got into strategy games in specific, but I've been playing video games since I was you know, three years old or whatever. My dad had one of these old, uh, well, okay, I was three in 1986, right? <laughs> so whatever whatever the PCs were then, he would always come home with little games that we would play. But I remember when I was 12, maybe, a subscription to Q- Computer Game Strategy Plus showed up in my mail one day. And I, I think that sort of got the ball rolling on a, me as a strategy gamer. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the early strategy games when you were that age that you really, really got into? What what, what grabbed your imagination? Warcraft 2 was probably the first. I can't, and again, I can't remember if it was Warcraft or Command & Conquer, but one of the two of them, I would stay up late playing and get my neighbors over, and they were never very, they were never very good at them, so, you know, I could always count on a, a quick win in a, in a game of Warcraft or something like that. But uh, those were the two big ones that got me started. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you've kind of fallen out of like. Haven't you made some disparaging remarks about StarCraft II? It seems like you've you've fallen out of uh, love with RTSs. Is that correct? And it's not that I've fallen out of love with them, but I've 
you know, the RTS genre has moved on so far from StarCraft that for them to release StarCraft again, I was kind of, I don't want to say angry about it, but, it, you know, it's one of these things where there's, you look at what Relic's doing and even going back to Rise of Nations and games like that, mm-hmm. and then to see, oh, build up, you know, build some uh, droids and send them into the gems and start building Terrans and, you know, all of that was a little jarring. But I gotta say, reading your game diaries has made me want to install it now. Well, yeah, I mean, I th- thank you for that, I guess. But uh, I, you definitely have a valid point. I mean, that's I felt the same way. Uh, sort of like we've come all this length with the genre. You know, we've come this far, and they kind of willfully step back ten years. Uh, and and while I'm like you, I don't necessarily want to say anger. There's something kind of like anger there. Because uh, I, I love the genre, and part of me is like, why Why are you, you people who have all this power in the genre to revitalize it, and you, this is all you're doing? Uh, so I, I totally understand that sentiment, yeah. Yeah, and then, I mean, it's hard to say if any of these people buying, so the millions and millions of people who are going to buy StarCraft will ever, would ever buy another RTS at all, no matter what kind of game it was. So, you know, on that front, it really doesn't matter too much, but I don't know. I'm sure I'll pick StarCraft eventually. Okay, uh, and I'd be curious what you think, because uh, there, there's a lot to love there, but, but your concerns are absolutely well-founded. Now, now, here's a question that you might find tough. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of movies. I love watching movies, but any time somebody asks me, hey, what's your favorite movie, I have no idea what to say. I mean, I, I don't have an answer for that. Now, as a kid who grew up with real-time strategy games, do you have an answer if someone asks you, what's your favorite real-time strategy game? Yeah, and, and then I'd be one of those guys, well, I'd break it down by genre, right? And, <laughs> which type of real-time strategy game? Because I could answer StarCraft, or I could answer Company of Heroes, or I could answer, you know, the game we're going to talk about eventually, I guess, or uh, what type of real-time strategy game should I say? And that's exactly how I feel about movies. You know, well, it depends on what kind of experience I want out of a movie and what kind of movie and different genres of movies. There's no such thing... Like, just saying movie doesn't really mean anything. I mean, yeah, exactly. I, same way about real-time strategy games. I mean, there's so many that qualify. Let me ask you this. What is the last real-time strategy game that you played? Um, I was playing the... Uh, the I can't remember. It, it's not Airborne Assault anymore. The guys who made Code, uh, Company, uh, Conquest of the Aegean. The, um, the Bulge game from them, whose name I can never remember. And it's an RTS? Well, it's it, it's real time and it's strategy. Uh-huh. <laughs> I guess the last RTS proper I played was Company of Heroes. Okay. Have you tried their little uh, online version of Company of Heroes? No, I haven't. I haven't picked that one up yet. Or I'm not I sure how I feel about that. What's what's your first reaction to hearing that they're going for the for the free to play online approach with Company of Heroes? I like the idea, but I know I just don't have enough time to play as much as I need to to get. It's one of those, uh, like a World of Warcraft type type thing, where if you're not putting a few hours a day, at least that's what I always think of when I hear free to play online. Yeah, yeah, it's like a time sink, and you've got to you've got to pay your time to unlock stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, so but you if it gets more people into Company of Heroes. I'm all for that. Yes, yeah. Well, you know, that's what's relic. I just those guys are just. I'm so fond of the stuff they've done, and it holds up. So well, even the original Dawn of War, you know, Dawn of War 2 kind of changed things a lot. But going back to the original Dawn of War, they just do such great games and they hold up 
so well, I think, considering, I don't know, how old is the original Dawn of War? Yeah, I was thinking about that a few weeks ago. Even even in light of everything they improved on in Company of Heroes or Dawn of War 2, Dawn of War, the first one, and, you know, they've expanded it to death. There's five or six expansions of it, but the original game was probably 05, 04, maybe? Yeah. We have the internet here. Let's uh, probably figure this one out. But, yeah, I mean, it has to be six, seven, five or six years old by now. And they, I don't think they get enough credit. I mean, Relic is just... Uh, those poor guys, you know, laboring in the shadow in the way of, like, EALA and Westwood and Blizzard. Uh, yeah. yeah, and then, you know, they, they advance the RTS genre so much, and then StarCraft comes out and makes the exact same game ten years later and outsells them probably ten to one. Well, and you know what? That is so funny, Stephen. You're so right, because the whole way the races break down in StarCraft, I mean, everybody says StarCraft ripped off Warhammer 40K, and, you know, even if it didn't do it directly, the, the sides are just so similar. You, you have to wonder, like, will more people try Dawn of War because of StarCraft's popularity, or does it does it cut down their player base? Now, I don't know the answer to that, but... I think if they put Dawn of War... Just put the box in Target for, like, $10 right next to the StarCraft boxes. <laughs> I think they could get enough people picking it up that they could do some damage. I like that. I, th- I think you should go into marketing if this whole big <laughs> thing collapses. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's the dog saying hi. Oh, hi, Scout. Hello, Scout. Uh, did you name your dog after the main character in To Kill a Mockingbird? No, he was a rescue, so he had the name when we got him. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, so you, you aren't just a strategy gamer. Uh, I understand that you are hugely fond of what I think is one of the best action games in the last, I don't know, five, ten years. Uh, what's the over-the-top action game that you've been playing lately? Just Cause 2. And I like the way you built that up, the over-the-top action. I like that. And how did you come to Just Cause 2 as a guy who's normally into like RTSs and strategy games and, and whatnot? I always look out for mindless things to play. I'm not necessarily mindless, but, you know, just something to play on my Xbox. And that was, I got the demo in that half hour. I probably played that half hour of the demo, you know, 20 times before going out and just pulling the trigger and getting the whole thing. That that demo was fantastic, wasn't it? I mean, that right there is, I think, one of the best-case instances of how to really sell a game with a demo. Yeah, it's amazing. Just let me play the game, and then I'll want to play the game. It's really weird. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you actually, I'm surprised, you have an Xbox 360. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't? <laughs> uh, I'll tell you who doesn't. Strategy gaming uh, snobs. <laughs> uh, I don't have time for them, though. Uh, what else do you like on your 360? Uh, I'm trying to think of what else I've played recently. Um, Red Faction, I played a lot of that when that was out. I guess it's still out, right? But when that was uh, new, I got that one. And then... I picked up Tropico going back to strategy games, but I didn't. The, the gamepad didn't really work for that one. I wondered about that. So I, because I played it on the PC, and I, I knew they were doing the Xbox 360 adaptation, but I never saw it. You, you, you feel it was compromised with the control? I, I think the game was exactly the same, but just the control was very. Um, uh, it, it just wasn't really tight enough. You could lay down buildings and things like that. But you, it was really hard to get something exactly where you wanted it. Right. Uh, that's a shame. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know if it sold well or anything, so they probably won't do that again. 
Uh, now, you know, I don't know if you know this, as a real-time strategy fan, I'm, I'm going to ask you about what was my favorite game last year. Have you played any RTSs on the Xbox 360? Are you of, asking me about End War? No. That was, no. That was two years ago, but I did like that. Did you see him? Okay, because <laughs> I have played End War. Um, this uh, one's last year. You got me. Did you play Brutal Legend? Yeah, I did. And I have, a, I guess I have a bone to pick with you about Brutal Legend, because I really didn't like the beginning of it. Like, the, the beat-em-up action part, I kept waiting for the RTS to come in. And it's, uh, I felt like I was slogging through this action game before I could get to an RTS. That's kind of funny, Stephen, because you're like the opposite of the traditional <laughs> complaint, which is, hey, I signed up for this open-world action game, and you guys stealthed in an RTS. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I was looking for the RTS, and I did like the sur- skirmish mode. I didn't play a lot of it, but I did. You know, I could tell that there was a, an RTS in there that I would have enjoyed, right. but I didn't uh, investigate it too much. Did you ever try that by any chance online? Because it had a good skirmish against the AI, but did you ever jump online with a human player? Yeah. Okay. Uh, that, that's one that I'm sure I'm really rusty at, but I would really like to revisit the play, especially since I've been playing a lot of StarCraft. Like, one of the things that StarCraft II is doing for me is it's really encouraging me to go back and revisit other RTSs I really like in a multiplayer environment. And specifically, the two that I'm most eager to revisit at some point, and I've gotten very rusty at both of them, are Rise of Legends and, and, uh, and Brutal Legend. Hi, hey, you know what? I didn't even think of that. They both have the, oh, yeah. <laughs> the Legend games. Uh, Rise of Legends, though, it's, it's like riding a bike. You'll, you get right back into that one. I, I feel like, like every year or so I pick that up again, and it, it takes maybe five minutes before I've got the old hotkeys going and all of that. Yeah, that's, that's such a fantastic game. I just... that's. Okay. I can't believe I ever uninstalled it. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> now, uh, before we talk a bit about... Uh, oh, actually, I want to ask you this, Stephen. So your wife's a school teacher. What does she think of you being a video game dork? Um, her students want, are constantly asking for my live ID. <laughs> so her students know that their teacher's husband is, is, is a video game dork. Yeah, so they know, basically, she presents it as, if you're talking about video games or looking at video game stuff instead of working, I'll know because I see my husband doing the same thing. Ah, right. (laughs) You kind of help her spy on her students, I guess. Uh, Have you ever gotten her to play anything? Um, Yeah, I have. We've got a Wii, so I can get her to play things on there. Um, We played New Super Mario Brothers when that was out, anything, it has to be really, I don't want to say mindless, but really like, eh, you know, the standard casual type games. Casual is another good word for mindless. That's not as offensive. Yeah, but mindless sounds kind of pejorative, but that's not, that's not the idea, right? Right. But, uh, yeah, I, I can't, I can't get her to play something like Dawn of War, no matter how hard I try uh, now, before we talk about this RTS that I know nothing about, that I'm looking forward to you telling me about, I have a surprise for you. All right. So I threw down earlier challenges on, like, uh, you know, about Texas. Now I'm going to throw down a Civil War challenge. So right. you said you're not much of a Civil War, like you're not a bona fide Civil War buff, but you know some Civil War stuff, right? Yeah. Like, basically, how would you characterize, like, how much you know about the Civil War? Enough to know 
things that okay, and I see I see where this is going. So I'm a, my knowledge is about to be um, put to the ultimate test. Let's say that's right. Now now here's this test. What it's going to be for you, you and me, Stephen. We are going to have a Civil War trivia showdown right now. And conducting this Civil War trivia showdown, we have here the man voted uh, sexiest history dork in Maryland for three years running, <laughs> Troy Goodfellow. Troy, are you with me? I am with you, Tom. Do you hear me? I do hear you. Uh, I'd like to introduce you to Stephen. I don't know if you know him as Stephen, but Stephen, Troy, Troy, Stephen, you guys actually know each other from the forums and from Flash. Hey. Hi, Stephen. Nice to finally talk to you. Yeah. So, Troy, I understand you have a challenge for me and Stephen to go mano a mano. I do. I have a quiz. It's a, a best of 11, so it's an odd number, so someone's going to win. The rules are pretty simple. Uh, I'm going to take turns each and asking you a question. The guest, Stephen, you'll be going first. If you get it wrong, then Tom gets a chance to steal your point. Sweet. If he gets it right. And vice versa. You, he gets his question wrong, you have a chance to steal it. Mm, I don't like that last part, but okay. <laughs> they start off pretty easy, and they get a little bit more challenging along the way. Uh, like is, there, is everybody clear on the rules? I think yeah. I'm clear. I think I've got it. Stephen? You good? I think I can do it. Okay. All right. So we'll start with you, Stephen. I'll give you this gimme question. Uh, who were the two combatants in the American Civil War? Oh, <laughs> All right. Uh, United States of America and Confederate States. I could have gotten that one. All right. You would have gotten that one? That's one for Steven. <laughs> should probably be kind of ten here so I can keep track of who's winning and who's losing. Don't worry. I'll keep track. All right. At this point, Steven is winning. Steven, you've got an early lead. If I get a question that easy, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie it. What do you got for me, Troy? Okay. Here's your question, Tom. During what years was the war fought? I do know this one, 1861 to 1865. That is correct. All right. It was a little shaky on that one. That should only be a half point. <laughs> Why is that shaky? Is that wrong? Well, no, no. you said 65, I could tell you. Uh, oh, you know. I see. <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds like you weren't quite sure there, Tom. Well, I have to think, did it last five years or did it end on the five? And I, I, that, I had to sort of think about that for a minute. <laughs> but okay, I got that. All right, so that's one to one. All right, Stephen, another easy one. Where was the surrender of the Confederates signed? Uh, Appomattox. Appomattox Courthouse. Appomattox Courthouse is correct. Yikes. So that's two for Stephen and one for Tom. Did you know that one, Tom? Yeah, that one. <laughs> you didn't know that one, Tom? Come on. Uh, I, when Stephen says it, I'm like, okay, that sounds right. If it had been multiple choice, I would have gotten it. Okay. <laughs> okay, Tom, so which battle saw the bloodiest day of the war? Bloodiest single day. Okay, now here's the, th the reason I know this one, and I think I know it, is because around 9-11, uh, one of the, the little factoids thrown around was, <coughs> was the most Americans killed in one day since, and I think this is right, the Battle of Antietam? That is correct. The Battle of Antietam. And I don't, I don't know that because I know about the Civil War. I know about that because of 9-11. So. 9-11, very good. I didn't think you'd get that one. I didn't either. I, I thought that one was a good, another point for me there. Hold <laughs> Would you have gotten that one, Stephen? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, good I'm Lord. Sure. Okay, I'm screwed. All right, go on. All right, Stephen, your question. Uh, the first state to secede from the Union. Uh, 
Yeah, I'm going to have to guess on this. Let's go with South Carolina. And you're correct. Oh, South good Carolina. <laughs> which was called too small for Republic and too large for an asylum. I just remember they were the loudest. And wasn't um, Jackson's vice president was from South Carolina, Calhoun, I think? Is that, uh, is that right? Yeah, Calhoun was from South Carolina. He was one of Jackson's vice presidents, yes. Okay. Yeah. But you don't get any points for knowing that. <laughs> I should. <laughs> okay, Tom, another one I'm not sure you'll get. Okay. Uh, where did Stonewall Jackson earn his nickname? Uh, well, that's an easy one. Obviously, at some sort of a stone barricade. <laughs> is that right? That is, <laughs> that is incorrect. <laughs> Stephen, can you tell us the story behind Jackson's nickname? I can't tell you who said it, but it was at the uh, first Manassas, right, when somebody said that he was standing there like a stone wall. That is correct. Stonewall Jackson earned it at the first Manassas or first Battle of Bull Run. So wait a minute. It was a metaphor? There was no literal stone wall involved? Other than Jackson himself. <laughs> so he steals a point there, which gives him, what, four to two. Uh-oh. Okay. Okay, and here's Stephen's chance to pull the commanding lead. Uh, what technology did Lincoln research to unlock the Emancipation Civic? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I haven't played enough Civ for this one. I got uh, this one. Yeah, you got it. All right, Tom, I'll give this one to you. I'll see that, the point. Yeah, that would be, and I can't believe you don't know this, Stephen. You obviously hate democracy because that's the answer. Oh, uh, Okay. It is democracy. So there we go. And that's the score is now what? It's four to three. All right, Tom, back to you. Uh, Gettysburg began as a Confederate effort to find new shoes. And they stumbled into Union troops, and the skirmish begins of a war, a big battle. Mm -hmm. If these shoes had been found and were made of leather, which classes in Din's Curse would not be able to wear them? I know this. The wizard and the conjurer in Din's Curse can only wear cloth armor. Therefore, they would not be able to wear those shoes. Well done. Thank you. Would clothy have been sufficient on that one? I think you got to name the classes. you got to name the class and ask for classes. Yeah. Do you, do you okay. play a lot of Din's Curse, by the way, Stephen? Not, um, not <laughs> it. Well, maybe you've learned your lesson and you should. I guess so. <laughs> Okay, Stephen, head over to you. It's another point for Tom. Uh, this is about a battle. Uh, in Petersburg, the siege of Petersburg, last year of the war, uh, Lee was unable to, for, unable to field the 100 hydralisks that he needed to win because there were no, there's no Vespine gas in the Petersburg area. <laughs> if he had Vespine gas, how much would he need to have the 100 hydralisks to turn the seat the course of battle? Uh, let me think. So, 100 hydralisks, how much Vespine? Vespine is the one that you don't get as much of, so the ratios are like 150, so let's say 5,000. You are correct. Wow. Right. You are correct. It takes 50 that's, Vespine that's for hydralisks. Uh, that's not fair that you knew that, Stephen. I didn't know it, but like I said, 150, so why not? <laughs> There you go. So that's a point for Stephen, which gives us the score of what now? Five, five to four. Stephen. Uh huh. 
Okay. Uh, Steven, this couldn't have been closer if I had designed the quiz. Well, <laughs> they okay. pretty quickly. Tom, over to you. Uh, at Gettysburg, Union troops chanted the name of Fredericksburg as they mowed down Pickett's charge. If the battle had been inside Lost Planet 2, what button would they have been pressing to do a taunt animation? <laughs> that, Troy Goodfellow, would be the start button plus any direction on the D-pad or either of the triggers, or either of the shoulder buttons. There are a lot of taunt options in Lost Planet 2. You are correct. Are there any buttons that do anything else, then? <laughs> there are so many buttons in Lost Planet 2, Stephen, it might as well be a PC game. All right. <laughs> okay, Stephen, here's your chance to win. Game point. It's 5-5. Five, five. Uh, whoever gets this one wins it. All right, I'm uh, ready. In the... In the very olden days, the Civil War would have been decided by a personal combat or a duel between champions. For example, Robert Lee and Ulysses Grant would have fought it out. In this fight, how would Grant have performed a, a, a Hadouken? Uh, is that the quarter circle and punch, or is it... Yeah, I'm going with quarter circle punch. Quarter circle oh. punch. You are correct. No, you're right. Uh, this is a terrible day. This is a terrible day. <laughs> Steven, we... Uh, Which is the one that's uh, right down diagonal? Why would you have known that? Why on earth would you have known that? We go to all this way to rig the quiz so that I can win, and you, and you trumped me. How was yeah. I to have known you would know what a Hadouken is? <laughs> yeah, sorry. I've played some Street Fighter in my day. Oh, my God, I thought you were, like, some 40-plus-year-old strategy nerd like me who would have no chance of ever knowing anything about Street Fighter when Troy and I were determined to punk you. you, you well, how did these two 40-year-old strategy nerds know something about Street Fighter then? <laughs> I know nothing about Street Fighter. That was, that was Tom's question. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, Troy, how many points would you have scored on that quiz? <laughs> oh, I would have done very poorly. You might have, have gotten got, the Din's Curse one. I'd have gotten the Din's Curse and I'd have gotten the Hydralisk one. Uh, but yeah, the Lost Planet and Street Fighter, forget it. I can't believe you won, Stephen. This whole thing was engineered for me to win. Troy and I put it together. Ah, oh, you've ruined our prank. Yeah, I, I, I think he made it more awesome. He really did, actually. That was very well played, Stephen. I, uh, wow, well done, well done. Uh, <laughs> Well, well, Troy, thank you for uh, doing this for us. Uh, you, were, you were a great sport to join us. And, uh, Anything for you, Tom. Thank you very much, Troy. So, ladies and gentlemen, that was Troy Goodfellow. As I said, Troy, congratulations on your three, three wins in a row. Sexiest video, uh, history dork in the Maryland area. <laughs> yeah, they're going to name it after me now and then retire it. Awesome. Troy Goodfellow Award. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so, Troy, uh, we'll be seeing you around Flash of Steel on the Three Moves Ahead podcast and uh, on the forum. Thanks for joining us. All right. Good night, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks, sir. Bye. Oh, I can't believe you did that, Stephen. Well, it's Street Fighter. Who doesn't know that? I didn't think you would. Who's <laughs> going to want to come on this podcast and talk about Take Command Second Manassas, who's yeah. also played Street Fighter, who knows how to do a Hudoken? Oh, my God. To be fair, though, that's the only thing I know how to do in any strategy game. So anytime I pick up a, strategy, or a fighting right. game. It's try to quarter circle forward. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, do you play other fighting games? No, I'm terrible at them. Uh, it, like I said, quarters, if it's more complicated than that, then I'm, go I'm out. 
Wow. Well, you've certainly turned the tables on me. All right. I hope you're happy. Thanks for ruining my podcast. Oh, no problem. Anytime. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get serious. Why don't you tell me now about why you want to talk about some boring old Civil War game when, when, when you're presented with what video game do you most want to talk about on a podcast? What, what is it about this Take Command Second Manassas thing that grabs you? Yeah, and I figured nobody else would ever want to talk about it because I, I think I'm one of a few hundred people who's played it, and I'm sure more, but, you know, it, it's one of these things that I really don't think has gotten wide enough play for how good of a game it is. So, Tom, did you ever play that uh, Sid Meier's Gettysburg game? Sure, absolutely. Okay, because this is pretty much the spiritual successor to that, and by pretty much I mean... If Sid Meier were making that game today, this is this is more or less what it would be. Mm-hmm. So you know you have you have control of a small part of the army and the battles going on around you, and you, you have to use your use your guys the best way possible in light of the fact that you don't have total control over everything. So explain to me a little bit about that, because one of the things that I'm fascinated with in terms of historical wargaming is how it approaches the limitations of command and control. That uh, in a, in, for a contemporary strategy gamer who's not really into aspects of realism and history, you know, he wants to move his unit, he wants it to go there, he wants it to do exactly what he tells it to do. That's sort of a staple of video games. Uh, let, let's talk about about the limitations of command and control and how this is expressed in Take Command, uh, ironically named, by the way. <laughs> exactly. And I think they, I don't know if they did that on purpose, but it's for, I guess, since you've never played it or anyone else out there, you have control of a brigade or higher. So the, the regiment, you know, the one, the, a few hundred lines of infantry or two lines of a few hundred infantry is your smallest unit that you can order around. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, you get a command of a brigade or a division, and you can leave... And what I really like about this game is that at any point along the way, you can let the either let the AI take control of anyone below you, or you can take direct control, in which case they will do absolutely nothing without you telling them. Mm-hmm. And it really does get at, like you said, the... the the general strategy game, like a game like StarCraft, where you have total control over everything that's going on, once you get high enough in one of these battles, you really can't do that. If you're trying to play, you know, the the, the newest game is Scourge of War Gettysburg, and if you're trying to play Ticket's Charge, or you're trying to play as um, Longstreet on the second day or something, you really can't hope to take control over every single one of your units, or you'll just go crazy and they'll all end up dying anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, it, is, it, is it based on a morale idea? Like you give your units commands and once their morale gets to a certain level, they stop obeying them? Well, they have, yeah, morale's there. The regiments, once their morale gets too low, they'll just, you know, they'll run away. And if you're, you have to kind of ma- manage your commanders and keep them close to the regiments to make sure that they're not going to do that. But basically, if you're playing in a division level and you want to give, give a brigade a command, what you can do is tell them, okay, go attack this hill or go attack this fence line or something. And there's certain AI routines that, depending on how the commander's rated internally in the game, that they'll try to carry that out as best they can. Or with some of the guys, with some of the commanders, they'll just sit there anyway. If you, if you tell them to attack something, 
and they don't want to, or, you know, maybe historically the commander wasn't all that good at attacking, they might just sit there and not listen to you. Now, that strikes me as an incredibly brave design decision and potentially risky. Uh, You feel that that works in Take Command? I feel it works because it does give... Now, for the guys, and I think... um, I don't remember if you were on the podcast, but you had the guys who made the newer one on the Three Moves Ahead podcast. Right, North Nuko and... And uh, Adam something, I think. And I wasn't there, but I did listen to that one, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because he was saying something like, well, what you want to do is send your good commanders after the... If you do want to attack, then you want to make sure that the guy you're sending to attack is good enough to do it. But as Rob, I think, pointed out, that's way beyond the level that most people play these games. So a lot of times you'll get guys on the forum complaining that, hey, the AI doesn't work. (laughs) Because <laughs> they ordered this division to attack, and half the half the people didn't do anything, or they they ran there and then ran away immediately. But that's, you know, that that's working as design. That could be exactly what should happen. Now, where does it fall on the continuum between uh, Sid Meier's Gettysburg and the Total War series? And what I specifically am wondering about in Gettysburg, there was almost, and this is very much one of the the hallmarks of Sid Meier's designs. There was almost this board gamey feel in terms of how it was very clear about like when a unit had its flanks secure and when morale bonuses were kicking in. It was very above board with some numbers and some modifiers and stuff versus the Total War series, which is a lot of sizzle and a lot of stuff is going on under the hood. Uh, it, it's not so much data driven as spectacle driven. Uh, where on that continuum does take command fall? It's definitely on the on the Sid Meier side, and on if you're paying attention to a single regiment, you can see exactly what bonuses it's, they're getting, and the, the numbers aren't right there, which is kind of uh, if I were just the only one of the few things I would change in it is that I would put the numbers there and say, okay, these guys' flanks are secured, and so that gives them a plus two to their morale or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it is definitely you can tell. Um, given a certain set of units and their ratings and everything for whether they're veterans or whatnot, you can tell how long they're getting, they're going to last in a head-on shootout or if they're getting flanked or if they're flanking someone else. It's definitely very above board. It it lets you know everything you need to know. How do you feel about the pacing? Because one of the things that, that got a lot of complaints from folks in Total War is that it seemed over the lifetime of the series the creative assembly was kind of speeding up the pacing and, and making their, you know, inflicting more casualties. They wanted it to be more dramatic and for more stuff to happen sooner um, because there was this idea that if it's more laid back, if it unfolds at a slower pace, that can be boring for some people. Uh, how does Take Command approach the pacing issue? They they do something that I really wish... It, it, it's, real, it's essentially real time. And, you know, take the Total War games like Empire... You have these battles with muskets and, and uh, artillery, but they don't give you any more units on the board than they did when you had swords. So it takes a lot less time to kill a thousand people with a musket than it does with a sword, right? Mm-hmm. So in that sense, the, the total war game just flow, fly by, at least in Empire and Napoleon. But here, if you're marching an army across Gettysburg, it takes some time. 
But what you can do is if you're just marching across the map or you're trying to find the enemy or you're just waiting for them to attack or something, you can speed up the game at any point. So it's definitely a slower, more methodical thing. But if you don't want to sit there and watch guys march, you can speed it up. Mm-hmm. How do they look? Um, decent. Better than, uh, not, not quite Total War, but improved from, from Sidney's Gettysburg. The newest one looks a lot better. They really upped the, uh, upped the polygon counter or whatever. I don't know anything about graphics, but it, it looks really good in this new one. Well, so actually, this is kind of confusing to me. So it was a ri- the, the first game, the one that we're talking about here, is Take Command, colon, Second Manassas. Uh, yes. And the, the Scourge of War, that's what this series morph- morphed into? There's, there was some kind of fault. Take Command, the Take Command series, and there was a, one for the first bull run and one for the second bull run. Second Manassas is second bull run. But the Mad Minute Games, which was the developer on those, kind of imploded, or I know Norb was one of those guys, and he started Norbsoft Dev, which makes the Scourge of War game. So I don't know what, um, I I don't know the politics behind it, but it's basically the same game, just with a different, uh, different heading. And would you recommend to someone picking it up, is there something unique about Second Manassas that you don't get in Scourge of War? Or if someone was to want to come into this series, should they jump straight to Scourge of War Gettysburg? Well, the thing Second Manassas gets you is that they opened up map modding. So there are maps for Antietam and Fredericksburg and all sorts of tiny battles that I, I as the guy who won your uh, rigged contest there, had never heard of before seeing them in this game. But so... You know, in that sense, second minute, honestly, I'd hope people would, would get both of them. Right. <laughs> uh, now, so as the winner of this contest, by the way, one of the things that I love about uh, my early days playing Civil War war games, and I haven't done that in a long time, is how each battle very much had its own story, and it very much had its place in the narrative of the Civil War. Can you personally give context to Second Manassas? Like, can you explain what the significance of that battle is? Oh, it was it, just in a, in a historical sense, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Tell so, us a story about Second Manassas. Where does it fit into everything? In the summer of 62, it was right before... It's the battle that led up to Antietam. So essentially what happened was McClellan went on this big excursion around the Virginia Peninsula to try to outflank Richmond. And I don't know if you know much about McClellan, but every time he saw... He constantly thought that he was outnumbered by this Confederate horde, and it was this big disaster. He didn't get near Richmond. Uh, it led to what are known as the Seven Days Battle, which was the first, basically, where Robert E. Lee cut his teeth. So after he got fired from the Army of... Nor- or the, uh, Army, uh, the Union Army, whose name is escaping me for some reason right now, this other guy came in, uh, Pope, who just decided straight up, let's go across the Potomac into northern Virginia. And essentially what happened was that the armies met again at Manassas. Um, it's a town where that's on, a, on some major roads, and a battle happened there the second time the same, for the same reason that happened the first time. Uh, and this guy, Pope, wasn't necessarily any better than McClellan, and... Lee and Longstreet and Jackson ended up 
kind of mopping the floor with them, and that led to Lee's invasion of Maryland, which led to Antietam. Mm-hmm. And what is it about uh, in in the the Take Command game uh, that makes it unique to Manassas? Like, do they do they meticulously model the battlefield? Is a lot of it in the orders of battle? Uh, the, both the order of battle, orders of battle are perfect. I mean, down to down to the regiment numbers in most cases when they can get them. And then the battlefield, the battle maps, I can't remember exactly how big they are, but they're about two square miles, I think, or maybe two by two. Um, but they they used a couple different maps throughout the game, and they do the same thing in Gettysburg, where the maps themselves are very richly detailed, mm-hmm. but there's no one map that's the whole battlefield. But you can actually go... You know, looking at an overlay of the map in the game and go on Google Earth and see where all this stuff is, which is pretty cool. Now, if I'm not mistaken, isn't there some sort of a persistent, I don't know about persistent, but but a campaign mode where you play one part of the battle and then that figures into how the next part unfolds? Am I wrong about that? There's a, no, there's a few different tracks like that, but it mainly, it has to do more with unit numbers than really how well you do you have to win one battle to go on to the next one when they do that. But basically what it'll do is it'll keep, if your commanders ended up dying in the first battle, it'll keep them dead, or, and your regiment numbers will be how they were when you ended the first battle. So yeah, it's not necessarily a campaign, but they do have a few linked, a, a series of battles where you're following one or two commanders through. Well, then when you describe that, Stephen, I, I think that must be a wonderful feature for how it encourages you to play a battle and be concerned with casualties. I mean, in a lot of war games, it just comes down to victory points. And maybe if you take casualties, it can be the difference between, like, a, a resounding victory and a marginal victory. You know, they'll, they'll break it down like that somehow. But this idea that your casualties will then affect what's going to happen later... Uh, I, I really like what that seems to do to the sense of consequences and, and using your forces responsibly. Uh, that sounds like it, it must be a, it must work out really well. Did you like? Yeah, it? it's really. And it, the first time when I first booted up the game and I played the first Stonewall Jackson battle in Second Manassas, I didn't know that the game was like that. So I got <laughs> slaughtered. But like you said, I got this marginal victory because I ended up taking all the points. And then in the next battle, I had absolutely no chance at all mm-hmm. and had to go back and rethink my strategy on the first one. Uh, now, here's an important question, and this is my own personal crusade here and, and something that I used to beat on. I used to beat this drum really hard when I was writing about war games. Uh, how is the AI in Take Command? It's until you really grok how it works, it's very, very good. Now, once... After playing it for three years or so, I can tell you pretty well what it's going to do, but it really takes a lot of sitting down and paying careful attention before you get to that point. The AI puts up a very good fight. Good. And a lot of it is scripted in the campaigns, but once it, even once it gets out of that, like you can tell that the battles always start with certain orders or whatever, but once it gets out of that, it's very good at finding your flanks and finding holes in your line and things like that. Mm-hmm. And that's something else that, that can be crucial in a, in a sort of a niche game like this. Uh, what's the community like? Is there an active forum where people can sort of talk about it? And, and you mentioned it, it supports mods. Uh, is there much by way of downloadable mods for it? 
for second Manassas, like I said, there's tons. I just way more battles, way more orders of battles. There's one guy who went through and created flags for each of the states so that you can give the regiments their state flags. And somebody at modded in the sounds from Sid Meier's Gettysburg. Because they're, <laughs> uh, like the gunfire sounds were just much better in that game. So somebody went through and said, okay, I'm going to take these and put them in second Manassas. That's awesome, uh, Stephen. Like, I hear that, and, and part of me thinks, hey, that's cool. But also part of me thinks, well, that's kind of rude. <laughs> <laughs> and But the guys, I mean, they know their limitations. You know, they, they sure. never said we had perfect sound modeling. One thing that they were very proud of, and this they actually kept in that sound mod, is their sound for canister. They said they actually fired some canister and <laughs> held the microphone up to it and got the sound perfect. That's great. <laughs> Uh, and it, there is an active forum for it? Is oh, it? Yeah, yeah. Any, any question you can ask if it hasn't been asked already, and it's not one of those things where it, it, there's a few people who post, you know, hundreds of times a day, but for the most part, if a question gets asked again, nobody cares, and everyone's really nice, and it, it's a small enough niche that everyone's always just looking for new players, you know, so mm-hmm. nobody has time to to make fun of movies or anything like that. <laughs> Uh, and a game like this, is it available on Steam or anything, or do you buy it directly from uh, Mad, Mad... No, what was it? Mad Minute? Uh, Mad Minute, the, the Take Command Second Manassas Paradox published. I think it's on Gamer's Gate, and it might be on Steam now, too. But I'm pretty sure that one you can... You know, good luck finding it not... Good luck finding it in a store, but you can... That one you can download somewhere. The newer one, Scourge of War Gettysburg, you get from their website, from... Uh, NorbSoftDev.com. And do you know what they're charging for these? Uh, I can't imagine Take Command Second Manassas is more than twenty dollars if it's even that. Mm-hmm. Let me let's find out what NorbSoftDev wants for uh, Scourge of War Gettysburg. Forty-five dollars for this one. And would you recommend these? Let's say that I'm someone who's not particularly fond of the Civil War, doesn't really care one way or the other about it, but I like real-time strategy games. I, I think it's it's as good as any any real real time tactical type game. I think if you can get into something like Company of Heroes or you can get into Rise of Nations, I think this one is is one to check out. Right. Good. Yeah, Gettysburg does have a demo um, that you know you you the demo is a few tutorials and an open play kind of thing, mm-hmm. but it gives you a feel for how how to push the units around and basic tactics and things like that. I definitely recommend everyone do that. I can't believe I haven't played these. How come... Uh... I, I can't either. Especially, I think you've mentioned the Sid Meier's game on the podcast, and you guys keep... You and Troy would go back and forth between, oh, how great that was, and I wanted to shout at it. You know, the success was right there. The, the, the game you're looking for in the year 2009 or 10 or whatever is, is here. Well, the thing is, also, Stephen, like, I've been so, I, I've been such a vocal critic of what Creative Assembly is doing with this genre, these, these sort of respectfully historic RTSs, and I, I, I just wish that I'd looked, I mean, I knew about the Take Command games, I just never got around to trying them, and as someone who's critically, who's critical of Total War, this sort of seems like this, the kind of game that I wished that I could have known about and recommended to people as an alternative. Uh, yeah, definitely. It's it's definitely a um, a breath of fresh air from playing Empire for a while. 
and watching the terrible AI and fighting with that awful campaign mode and it's definitely if you wanted to like Empire Total War then this is a game for you now I have a question so the, the fella at Mad Minute it's, his name is I hope I'm not getting this right it's Norb I think I'm getting this right Norb Timco is that correct yes I believe so yes can you think of any name amongst war game designers that is even funnier than Norbs? Because I think I have one. I don't know if you can top this. Does anything come to mind? Well, do the, the German board game creators count? Try me. <laughs> I can't remember his name now, but the, the You're guy... You're not thinking of Rainer Kinesia, are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Rainer does, it does kind of sound like you sneezed, but no. Exactly. This, I, I still think Norb's name tops Rainer Kinesia. <laughs> this what guy... Was what did you think... Uh, all right, let me let me roll this out. Do you remember a game called? You're actually probably too young, but there's a there's a, a war game from QQP called, uh, not perfect. That lost the Lost Admiral. Do you know the name of the designer of the Lost Admiral? This is a really obscure no. question. No, I don't know who, who was that one. His name, and I think I've got this right. I should have looked it up before I brought this up. His name is Thurston Searfoss. That that's a war game designer's name. And yep. especially if he's making naval games. I mean, he sounds like he's Admiral Thurston Searfoss, right? Absolutely. It totally sounds like it, yeah. And and I can't, like Norb's name, like, that's got to be some awesome made-up. Like, that's his character in D&D. That can't be his yeah. real name. <laughs> and so Thurston Searfoss has got to be this guy, you know, what he names his Admiral when, when they meet for some sort of miniatures <laughs> naval battle convention every month or something. Yeah. <laughs> But I love that. You you might be able to. I mean, Steven's awfully conventional, but if you had a goofier first name, you could pull off one hell of a war game designer name, I think. I think if I just went with Salwan and just wrote that on the box, that would probably work. Like the one-word name, like, like Prince. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. All right, well, Steven, you, you have no way to be prepared for this, but I'm about to ask you a completely random question that has nothing whatsoever to do with anything that we've talked about. All right. Now, I apologize for this one, because this one's really stupid. Okay. But here it goes. How many times do you use a towel before washing it? Uh, let's see. Let, let's just say... Let's say ten. I might ask... About a week and a half. I tend to go a week, and I don't know the right answer to that, because... And I don't, I don't want to get, like, gross or anything, but it seems like when you when you dry yourself off with a towel, the water's clean. You know, it's not like the yeah, towel. It's as clean as it's getting, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I was thinking about once a week, but, you know, pushing it up because I don't always do laundry exactly once a week. So, yeah, something like that. Or in that neighborhood. So, yeah, I, and I don't know, like, are there some people who are really anal about it and wash it, like, every three times? or and I don't know the answer to this, and I would just be curious. Probably. There's probably people, like, every other day they're switching out their towels, but they you'd have to have a lot of towels for that, unless you know, you're doing laundry every day. You would, and, or like in a hotel, where you use the towel yeah. once and then they wash it. Uh, yeah. But even then, they're starting, they, they have those signs up if you, you know, please help us conserve water by not just using the towel once. You know what? When I'm at a hotel, I'm like, screw you guys. I'm not going to help. You. you guys have to throw oh, that thing on the floor. <laughs> right. I'm here to exactly. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. Uh, do you? So, have you ever had to live someplace where you have to go to a laundromat and do laundry? Oh yeah. 
In, in that case, I'm, that towel is getting used for a month before. Yeah. <laughs> it does sort of affect it, doesn't it? Where you do your laundry. Is the washer and dryer in the garage, or is it the creepy laundromat down the street where you have to drive every so often? <laughs> Uh, I have to say that's one thing that I I vividly recall every place I've lived where I've had to do laundry at a laundromat, and I've just hated that. There is no worse example of just dead time than when you're sitting in a laundromat waiting on your clothes. Just staring at it spinning or trying to fiddle with a DS or something. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, listen to you bringing up a DS. You're no hardcore war gamer, Stephen. <laughs> oh, according to, it's just like the way I'm a Civil War buff until I meet somebody who's a Civil War buff. Right. You know? <laughs> All right, well, for folks listening, there will be a thread in everything else, uh, and I apologize in advance for just the silly topic. Uh, the thread is how many times you use a towel before washing it. In order to be eligible for a free game, uh, your name will go into the drawing along with Stevens if you specify the color of a towel in your answer. So somewhere say something like, well, there's this red towel I use and I wash it once a week or blah, blah, blah. As long as you specify the color of the towel of a towel in your answer, you will go into the drawing for uh, a free game. Uh, so, all right, Stephen, before we go, what movies have you seen lately? I saw The Other Guys last weekend, which is as, as good as anything Will Ferrell's done. Wow, I'm not sure whether to say ouch or... <laughs> you don't like it? Or uh, you know, I haven't seen it, but uh, I think of Will Ferrell as, as having done some really bad stuff. I mean, you know what? He's done good stuff. Some terrible, terrible movies. That's what I mean. This is better than, uh, like, Blades of Glory or Step Brothers or... I mean, it's, it's definitely uh, the Will Ferrell movie to see now. Okay, well, here's a test for you, Stephen. What's... Before other guys, what would you have thought of as like the the best example of a, a Will Ferrell movie? Anchorman. I haven't yeah. seen anything that I would let my kids watch since Anchorman. Yeah, Anchorman is a good call. I'm with you there 100. percent You have kids? No, 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 no. But oh, if, I see. If you had kids, right, right. <laughs> I, I tell them, listen. I know you heard great things about Blazing Glory, but trust me on this one. Uh, give me a line from Anchorman. Can you do that? Uh, milk was a bad choice. Very good. Very good. Not necessarily the funniest, but... No, that's off the top of your head. I'm impressed. I thought you were going to say whale vagina. Nah. <laughs> uh, Anchorman, by the way, is one of my... Because I never watched uh, The Office, which is everyone knows Steve Carell from The Office. Um, Anchorman, and I didn't watch... I think he's from Daily Show or something, which I've never yeah, watched. Yeah, he was on The Daily Show for... I think before... Before Anchorman and The Office, he's on right. those. Like that was his sort of that that he came up through The Daily Show. Uh, yeah. And so Anchorman, I think, was one of my first exposures to Steve Carell, and I thought he was really funny in that. I loved his his dumb guy shtick in Anchorman. Uh, and that had to be pretty jarring, just seeing this guy you've never heard of before, because he definitely plays a character. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty knowing Steve Carell. It's a pretty uniquely Steve Carell character, right? But, but before we were kind of overexposed to it in a way, I, I think. Yeah, exactly. Isn't there, isn't, okay, let me try this. I'm going to float this. I'm terrible at lines. Uh, I ate a candle. Isn't that a, isn't oh, that a line? I think he says that at some point. Yeah, yeah. He says some really stupid things just off the cuff. Uh, so, so other guys you really liked, like you would put that up there with, with Anchorman. I'd put, yeah, I'd put that at the same level as Anchorman. I saw it because... Every time a Will Ferrell movie comes out, I tell myself I'm going to love it. But this one I actually did love. 
Now, how do you think, because I'm a, I'm a Mark Wahlberg apologist. I think he's done a great job in certain movies, but I'm not, I'm not entirely sold that he's good at comedy because I can't really think of examples of him doing great comedy. But, but you think he pulled off comedy well in other guys? He played this manic action star perfectly. It was great. He really knew exactly what to do. And he kind of played a caricature of a Mark Wahlberg character. Oh, good, good. And it worked out really well. All right. Did, uh, did Mrs. Stephen Alwan go? Oh, yeah, yeah, she loved it, too. She liked it, too. Okay, good. Oh, well, good. Well, I'm psyched. That's good to know. Because I, I hadn't read anything about it, and I'd just kind of written it off as another uh, Will Ferrell vehicle. Uh, and I'm glad to know that it worked for you. So, that was good. Cool. All right, well, Stephen, thank you so much for hanging out with me. I, uh, that I now got, I have two great recommendations from this podcast which is uh, Take Command Second Manassas and other guys. And uh, I, I will definitely hopefully take you up on uh, on both of those. Yeah. And, and you're still a jerk for, for screwing up my prank quiz. I didn't realize it was rigged. I, 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 I would have gone along with it. Well, no, I still would <laughs> I was told you I was going, going along with it and then answered correctly anyway. Nice. Well, you made it much more dramatic. I, I <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. All right, Stephen, it was nice to finally meet you. I know your name I, from, from, I guess I've seen it on the forums and comment sections for quite a while, so I appreciate hanging out with you, and uh, I will continue to see you around on the forum. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Thanks for having me. That was great, Stephen. I'm so impressed that you got that Mutalisk one, right? Or was it Ultralisk? Either way, I'm so impressed I got it. Uh, neither. It was Hydralisk. Hydralisk. There we go. <laughs> so it shows you how much I really know about StarCraft. Right? <laughs> I can't believe you got that right. I should have picked something that had a more uneven Vespian gas cost. Like something In fact, like 70. it wasn't 50. I just, you know, wild guess that it was 50, right? <laughs> You know, I should have known I was in trouble because that was going to be the clincher. That was always going to throw it in my favor. I should have known when you mentioned earlier that you that you go back to Warcraft that that I was going to be in trouble for doing that. So, <laughs> well. well, if I had gotten the Lost Planet one, I assure you, I would have gotten it wrong. <laughs> Nobody, not even Lost Planet players. Could, that that game, I love that shooter, but it's got such contrived controls. I mean, the fact that yeah, if you're always start to do something other than yeah, pause your game, exactly. <laughs> That, by the way, that's that Japanese approach to development. It's like, screw intuitive, we're going to take our own approach. Have you seen, there's a Penny Arcade comic where they have a, a controller layout that's that's reminded me of that as you started talking about oh, that's how right, you... Oh, that's right, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, I don't even think that's a gag. I think that's like some real thing. Yeah, it's pretty much that game or yeah. something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so... All right, well, Stephen, that was great. Uh, I, I always dig it when I kind of dread the game we're going to talk about, and then by the time we're done, I'm like, wow, well, that sounds cool. There you go. Did a good you on it. Well, I hope I sold you on it, because if they don't get money, they won't make another one for me. Well, it's so, it, 
you know, if they're selling Scourge of War for uh, whatever you said, forty bucks. I mean, it's yeah. a healthy enough user base where people are buying it at that rate, and it's it's profitable. I would think. Well, uh, there was um, that one war game that just came out that I mentioned at the beginning. They're selling for like eighty dollars, which is completely. I didn't even buy it for eighty, wow. but that's yeah. a real test of uh, of your devotion, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, Pete. Yeah, yeah. So. But, uh, yeah, I'd say Second Manassas is definitely worth whatever you can get it for on Steam. Right. Cool. Good. All right. Yeah. Well, all right, Stephen. This will go live uh, late tonight or early tomorrow. So uh, there you go. Sounds good. So thanks for your time, and, and uh, we'll be seeing you around. All right. Thanks for having me. Take care, Stephen. Bye bye. You too. Bye.